This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello, and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, lifestyle editor for The Pulse, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, content editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going well, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. It is officially fall. September 22nd, first day of fall. It's felt like fall to me for a little bit longer than that, but I'm happy to finally be here. Busted out the <laughs> cardigan, feeling good. Yeah, you're, you're almost winter. No, you can wear a cardigan <laughs> in the fall. That's when you break them out. You just look very cozy, Andrew. I am very cozy. You're wearing a hoodie, so it's the same I thing. I always wear a hoodie, though. I wear a hoodie in July. There's no difference between a cardigan and a hoodie. No? The, no, the only difference is the zipper to the button. Everything oh. else is the same. I mean, I say that the hoodie generally looks a little more slob, and that's why I like it. It's more casual. Yeah. And that's the thing about Door County is you have to find a way to dress down your more formal stuff. My wife hates this hoodie that I'm wearing right now, the gray one. The, the, I don't know what color gray this is, but it's the breakup sweatpants gray. Yep. She hates it. Yeah. Can't stand it. I think it's a nice color gray. I think it's classy. Yeah. I, <laughs> I classy. like a, I, I think like, it's nice. I like a heather gray. Yeah. Do you know what heather gray is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, get some texture in there. Door County is an interesting place because you, like other places, you always think about how do I dress this up, right? How do I, I have an event that I need to go to. How do I dress it up? Right? Yeah. Door County is always like. I have an event to go to. How do I dress this down? Yeah. Uh, you <laughs> went need to, to go uh, that far. Well, I was going to say, uh, this probably segues us nicely into the first thing I wanted to talk about is the DCEDC awards that you yeah. went to yesterday. The Door County Economic Development Corporation held their annual awards and they gave awards to uh, three different businesses and business owners uh, yesterday. And uh, you were dressed in a, a very smart uh, white button up with a sport coat and jeans. So you, you untucked the shirt, you dressed it down. It was very Door County chic. <laughs> it was, you know, the sport coat is my only sport coat. Um, it probably barely fits me now. I, I bought it when I was like 15 pounds lighter. But you're going to say 15 years old. Yeah. <laughs> say, yeah well. it's, it's tight. Yeah. <laughs> Bad guy in a little coat. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it was, you know, it's one of those rare events where you actually do feel like, okay, I have to somewhat look professional here. Yeah, so. we're, we're kind of in uh, event and, and gala season right now. We can talk about some of the, the other well, stuff. Going everyone's on. catching up. Yeah. Like this event usually, I think, I think the DC, DC thing is usually in the spring and half marathons usually in the spring. So it's all this, uh, and my, my calendar got very full, very fast. Yeah. What do you prefer? Do you like kind of going out and seeing everybody again in the spring after a long winter? Or do you like this kind of like wrapping up the season doing these big events in the fall definitely more so in the spring because really? there's like the energy of looking forward to things and like, like they're, you're always busy like it, there's like i i say it too and we all do but it's like all right there's always stuff going on there's never like a i had this argument with somebody yesterday where he was like well it's the wrong time to do this I'm like, there's never a good time there's never a good time to have a meeting some people will say well you should do it in the summer when all the when all the seasonal homeowners are here so we can weigh in on something or you should do it in the winter because that's when the locals have time and that's when they can weigh in on something. It's like someone's going to complain no matter what. So you just do stuff. So that being said, spring is good because there's some energy in the room. And also because fall fills up with like every last chance to do stuff before winter comes that you want to do. And then there's always like the all the business associations have their stuff at the end of like probably in the next month. So that fills up the calendar too. Right. So. Uh, well, we'll run through these pretty quickly, but tell me about the DCEDC awards. How'd that go? Um, it was cool. They they changed up their awards this year to kind of add some more diversity. Like it, 
not to knock these things, but DCDC for a long time was very like um, big business, like big door county business and manufacturing industry heavy in what they what they focused on and, and what they honored. And to a lot of people, especially the tourism industry up here, it just kind of felt like it wasn't really for them, I think. I think that's fair to say. And that changed a little bit over the last few years. And then this year, especially, they added, um, they kind of changed up their categories. They added a woman and minority owned business category. Um, they, they have an established business category and a new business category. Um, so it changes what the faces in the room are, which is a good thing. Um, it takes a little bit away from a uh, good old boys network sort of I, feeling, whether that's true right. or not. That's definitely the feeling some people had in the past. Yeah. And I know that like in my experience with DC EDC awards in the past, it's been a lot of like manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, the the three winners were kind of more tourism based in, in some ways, but then also some, some fresher faces and things that you might not have thought of before. Um, so you mentioned the women and minority owned business of the business award, which went to, uh, Yenny Bexel at Spot. Um, and then there were two other award categories too, and those went to some pretty cool places also. Yeah, so Yenny Bexel um, with Spot, what, it's cool to be down there. And Yenny is like a contemporary of mine as now I age into the <laughs> the middle range of ages. I don't want to say middle age yet, but um, I'm not the young buck that I once was. One That's of, clear by the fact that you said young buck. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> young people don't say that. No. One of, the, one of the few things that is cool about aging is to see your contemporaries like make these other steps and become leaders in your community. And we'll talk about another one um, later in the podcast. But, you know, Yenny is somebody who got her start up here at Al Johnson. She came here from Sweden. Her brother was working at Al's. They both come to the United States and work their butts off. And Yenny eventually opens, after years of working in the service industry, open spot, and then that grows into space. And now, um, she's got a great business, treats her employees incredibly well, has created an awesome culture there. And she's always been that way. She's just always been somebody who was just incredibly fun to be around. Um, in my early bartending days, like she was part of that group that would, um, we all lived in crappy little apartments and we're making, we're scratching out a living in Door County. And, you know, to me, I see that award and I'm like, this is why we need housing. This is why we shouldn't say no and say, well, we can't have worker bees living next to us or they're going to be partiers or they're going to be, they're going to ruin our property values if we have housing for these people. It's like that housing creates people like Yanni Bexel in our community. It creates the opportunity for them to be here, stay here and make a life here and then contribute back to our community. And she's one, I think if you talk to the people who work for her and with her, they're all going to rave about her. So I think it, to me, sitting in that room and seeing that person who was also one of those service industry uh, rubes like myself back in the day to be up there and win that award and, and get that respect was very cool to see. Yeah. And, well, um, and one thing that I really like about Spot too is it's not like going off that story, it's not just that she came here and has made a life for herself and has a great business. She also stays open year round yeah. so that she can employ people year round. And Which is a big thing. As a resident of Sister Bay, I tell you, like spotting on deck, being open all year and being open late and having evening hours. So when I forget a birthday <laughs> or when I forget to get something for my wife or it's Valentine's Day and they're open and you can go there and get some, like we live in small towns. And if it just takes a couple of businesses to do a little bit extra to stay open a little bit longer and promote it and make it fun. And she does well with those events. And so does on deck. And it improves the quality of life in those little small on the margins. You know, it's not like you'd say, you know, what do I need in my community? I need a store to get gifts 10 times a year. And, and that's really important. It's not really important, 
but it improves the quality of life in those little ways. And if you have five or six businesses in a small town that do those little things, you know, if a hardware store would stay open past five o'clock, it would really make my life better. (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. It's a little quality of life thing that makes you not miss that 24 seven availability that you have in the city just a little, a little more. Right. The, uh, the other two awards were for a new business, a business that's open within the last year, and then for an established business. The new business award went to the, I always get their name wrong, but it's like the Door Community Child Development Center. Yes. There's so many four name acronyms up here <laughs> yeah. now. It gets hard to keep Or five. Door yeah. County Economic Development Corporation. Right. Yeah. DCEDC, DCC. C. Yeah, it's, it's, it's terrible. DCCDC, I think is Door County Child Development Center. Yes. Um, but that, uh, they won for the, the, the new business, uh, award mm-hmm. and then the established business award went to the Washington Island Ferry Line. Yeah. The new business one, uh, Alexis Fuller, she's done amazing things and, and the community around her have done amazing things to get that child care center to really save child care in Sturgeon Bay, um, which ripples throughout the community as you and I both know as, as parents of, young toddlers now makes a huge difference in whether or not you can work in a community. And that was something that Steve Jenkins, the executive director of the economic development corporation made a point of yesterday is that childcare is so crucial. We've got to wrap our heads around it. We've got to get a solution to it because that's part of our workforce shortage is people aren't able to find childcare. So they're leaving the workforce that's happening in door County too. And then the other winner was a more established older face in the business world is Washington Island ferry line, which was honored for its investment in building a new ferry and putting that into service and investing in building it here in Door County. So they get the new ferry, they put in some money, but they invested all that money at um, Bay Ship Building, Fincantieri Bay Ship Building in Sturgeon Bay where, where the ferry line was built. Yeah, sounds like it was a, a cool event, uh, a little bit different format this year. I heard that there was some really good video there as well. Yeah, there might have been some good video, might have been produced by one Andrew Clyden. I, I helped a lot with it. Um, Peninsula Filmworks put together the videos. Brett Cosmiter, our photographer, videographer extraordinaire, uh, shot all of the video for it, went and, and met everybody and got some really cool footage. I put it together for the event. Um, but yeah, it was just a cool thing to put together. Uh, I got the opportunity to find out who the award winners were months in advance. So it was kind of cool, like knowing that this was going on even before they knew what was going on and then kind of laying the, the groundwork to put together a cool video to kind of showcase them. So yeah. And uh, I should mention John McHugh from Quick Trip was there and he gave the keynote address. He's a really good speaker. Uh, just talked about creating a culture in your workplace. They And he did confirm what a, a lot of rumors and a lot of people have talked about, including the mayor of Sturgeon Bay, is that a quick trip, at least one, is coming to Sturgeon Bay in 2022, maybe another one. Some people are jumping for joy over that. Um, me, I'm a little more averse to chains coming into a community and taking profit margin out. So we'll see. <laughs> I'm lukewarm on it. Um, but it seems like a lot of people in Sturgeon Bay are pretty excited for a new gas station and convenience store to compete with their existing local gas stations. Yeah, we didn't have stores. enough. We didn't have enough gas stations in that stretch uh, next to Target. Yeah. There's like five of them right there. Yeah. City of gas stations is, is how we market it. Yeah, it'll no, be I'm a, kidding. Sorry, Pam. <laughs> we had to do that. It'll be a good place to get donuts. Pam Siler from Destination Surgeon Bay is going to hate me for that crack. Yeah. Sorry. A uh, couple other uh, little events that I want to just briefly touch on before we move on. Uh, the Northern Door Children's Center had their gala a couple weeks ago. That was another event that got pushed into the fall. That was a lot of fun. Cool. Um, they did like a, an auction 
that they do every year. A lot of businesses came together and donated items, donated gift cards, donated experiences that people got to uh, bid on. And it was cool. It was at the 1211 Wine Bar. That's Time's new place uh, up in Sister Bay. And mm-hmm. that was really cool. I know that you've been there casually, but it was my first time seeing it. And yeah, it, cool. it's a Quonset hut structure and everything. Yeah, it's a great event space. Like, yeah. There's just a lot of beautiful space to move around. You've got those little huts that you can put stuff in. So it's kind of an indoor-outdoor space. I didn't mm-hmm. go into the actual building. Uh, where the wine bar is and everything, but it was a really cool place to uh, to host an event. And then uh, the Right On Gala is tonight as well. Yeah. We're, we're all going to that. Yeah. I mean, this will come out after it. So the Right On Gala was last night. That's, uh, yeah, that's true. It's <laughs> going out Friday. Uh, Nicholas Butler is going to talk there. If you listened to the podcast a couple of weeks ago, Deb interviewed Nicholas Butler. Um, so definitely check that episode out. And uh, if, you, if you listen to this on Friday, try to go back to Thursday so you can go see the event. <laughs> yeah, go back in time. Right. Um, Nicholas Butler, the writer of Shotgun Love Songs, he's written several other books, but that is one that I that introduced most people to him. He's an Eau Claire writer, and if you need a book to read and you haven't read Shotgun Love Songs, I highly recommend it. Feel a little bit like you're reading about a town very similar to Door County, I think. Yeah, and what a great title too. Yeah, it's awesome. So let's talk about some news stuff. Uh, We've been covering the Little Sister Resort property and some of the projects that are going on there for a while now, but a couple more things are coming to light. Uh, Tell me about what Paula Anschutz is looking at for that property. Yeah, so Paula Anschutz, she's the general manager at the Sister Bay Bulk. She would be the third generation in line there uh, from the family. And she, it's, it's pretty coincidental. She went down to the Little Sister Resort property as they started to take things down. And the resort, for those who don't know, it was purchased last year. The resort's closing. Uh, Lance and Bridget Crane have purchased it to uh, kind of build their dream home down on the water and then do a condominium development across the street. And setting all of the discussion around that aside, what Paula was going down there for was to just kind of see what, what they were could possibly salvage from those cabins. And I think they were selling off some of the small ovens and um, some of the stuff, furniture from those cabins. And I think people were grabbing plants, um, like literally like getting hostas and things like that. And then she found out that the plan was to just like take the cabins apart and like the wood would be sent to uh, Recycle Clean is the name of the company. And they take all these materials and um, the person who donates these materials, they get a tax write off and then recycling goes and sells them and and the money goes to a nonprofit or something like that. I'm, I'm not totally sure on the details, but so even the barn wood or the old wood from those, some people will pay good money for that to use it in different projects or in different ways. Um, but what Paula was looked at, she just was like, why are we getting rid of these cabins? This in a community that desperately needs housing, why are we getting rid of perfectly good seasonal housing and tearing it down? So she she got moving on it. And, and Paula's not a developer. She's not a, um, a home builder. <laughs> She's not a housing expert. But she just goes, how do I do this? So she had to do the deep dive in rapid fashion because things were moving fast to try and see what she could do and possibly do to get some of those cabins. She ultimately has purchased eight of the old cabins uh, for $34,000 and is going to move them to her property out on Double Z, about a mile or two outside of Sister Bay. And she really... You talk about like the not in my backyard people. She's like, all right, I'm putting these in my backyard and I'm doing housing on my property where I live. So she's going to create a little seasonal housing compound and she created it by doing a, she had to do a conservation subdivision, kind of like reformat her property to make it work with county zoning. And now she's going to have housing for 10 to 20 people right there in Sister Bay. 
Yeah, that's great. So that's how many units did you say? She's moving eight cabins and she's going to combine a couple of them. So the final number is going to tweak and she may, to make the numbers work financially, like Paula doesn't have deep pockets to invest in this. So she's going to try and rent maybe one of those cabins as a vacation rental to sort of subsidize the affordable housing on that property. Yeah. So that's, let's say, six units there. There's a number of units going in across the street in Bailey's Harbor. So that's 15 units or more at this point in just a couple of months that have gotten taken care of. And throw in more. There's the WIDA project in Sister Bay. That'll be 46 units. Um, That's the Wisconsin Housing and Economic Development Corporation. Plus, Paula is... She purchased the, there's an old fourplex on the Little Sister Resort property. It's a two-story building. Most of these cottages are one-story, simple structures. They can go down the road. She also purchased a fourplex. And that now, to move that, she's either got to lop it in half, literally cut the building in half, and then reconstruct it on site to get it under power lines. Or she's going to have to move it down the golf course, Bay Ridge Golf Course, we're next door to the Little Sister Resort property, move a bunch of power lines, pay a lot of money to have WPS come out and move utility lines so she can get, get it through there and then move it down the road. And she is, a, uh, Sister Bay, Village of Sister Bay has agreed to sell her a parcel back by the Northern Door Children's Center where she could put this fourplex and have beds for up to 16 workers in there. So those workers could literally walk to the Piggly Wiggly, to the bank, and into town to work at local businesses. Um, and she's do, trying to do all this as seasonal or year-round affordable housing. Um, and, and like I said, she's not a developer. She's not somebody with a background in this. She hasn't done WIDA projects and that sort of thing. So she's just so determined to address this problem, you know, because as she told it to me, she said, you know, I was, I'm looking at this, like, how are we letting these go away? And I'm watching my friends not be able to find housing. And I, I'm struggling to find housing for employees to be able to even keep the doors open. And I'm looking around, where are the adults? Where are the adults in this community who are addressing this problem? When are they going to do something about this? We just, just hear talk, talk, talk. And then she's like, all right, nobody's doing it. I guess I'm the adult now. She's 34. <laughs> and she's like, I guess I'm the adult in the room and I have to do it. And to some degree, it's sad that here she is. She's been hearing about this her whole life and nobody's done anything. But and people with a lot more resources haven't done anything. And people in a lot more position of power have just said no to everything, as we've talked about in this podcast. But it's also, that is the reality. She's like, my generation has to do this. So she's stepping up. Guys like Jeff Lutze are trying to address it. Todd Helene. It's cool to see our neighbors all just say like, all right, enough with the big plans. I just got to do something and figure it out and kind of bull in a china shop it. Yeah. Well, and it's cool to have these more uplifting stories to talk about week after week lately rather than yeah. just another housing project was denied or another thing was shot down. So, And I give Sister Bay credit for um, saying yes to this. You know, they, there are communities right down the street who have said no to putting housing projects like this in. And they are also putting some money, like they're selling her that parcel, but for that WIDA project, they're providing over $450,000 in infrastructure to support affordable housing. So there are a lot of communities that haven't put a foot forward, but Sister Bay is. And some people ask like, where does that room tax money go? Why, why aren't we addressing affordable housing? Well, part of the reason Sister Bay is able to do that is because they've gotten a couple million dollars in room tax money back to the municipality over the last 15 years, which that's money that that's extra money you have. The premier resort area tax gives you extra money to 
spend. So it makes it a little easier to, to make a decision like this to support those things. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I want to really quick try to give my best summary of that because I, I saw it coming up as a question over and over again, and it's a little confusing. So when we talked about room tax. Dave Elliott talked about it last week on the podcast. There was a, a piece in the, the Pulse about it. A lot of people are asking, why doesn't the money go to affordable housing? And the it can and it can't, right? So the 70% that goes to the destination Door County, they have to use that for tourism-related things. And it's, the state statute doesn't really let you spend that money on affordable housing. But 30% goes back to the municipalities, and they can use it on whatever they want. So yep. they could use it on housing. Yeah, uh, That's the that's the thing to remember is 70% of it has to go to marketing. That doesn't include some quality of life stuff. It yeah. does include some... You, you can know, do a convention center, uh, and that's what a lot of municipalities actually use that for. Um you can use it for, like you said, there's a case to be made that you can use it for trails, potentially tourism, transportation, things like that, that help you create a story to tell and, and a product to market. Right. It's that remaining 30%, which would be increased or will, will be increased yeah. on January 1st. That extra money can go back into whatever. All the other things. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to clarify that because I saw people like asking like Dave said, it could be used for affordable housing. And then people were like, wait a minute. No, it can't. And just back and forth. That's the distinction there. Yeah. The 30% that goes to the municipalities, they can use it for whatever. Yep. So it's not all about increasing tourism or going back to that. There is a, a substantial chunk of money that goes right back into the communities for locals. Right. Okay. Moving on. Uh, there's well, one other thing at the... Uh, Little Sister Resort property, too, yes. that's going on, too. It, everybody descended upon this property and was like, let's just take it all, right? Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about this farm that's there. Well, so there's, I mean, it started as a farmhouse, um, and there's a barn there, and there's, like, even a little orchard in there, too. And that barn, when when Lance and Bridget Crane first came forward with the proposal for buying Pebble Beach, um, at that very first meeting, Denise Berto had made a point of saying, hey, how can we save some of these structures? please work with the historical society to see if the barn can be salvaged and see if the cottages can be saved. And it almost didn't happen, but some people stepped up and said, Hey, I want to, I want to save these like Paula and, and some others, Stephanie DeVoot. Um, and several other people have gotten some of those cottages too, and moved them off the property. The, the barn looked like it was just going to be torn down, but there's a couple things at play here. Paula wants that fourplex to go create housing to move that fourplex. She'll have to go through the golf course, take down power lines. That costs like probably those utility lines doing moving those so you can move a building through can cost about $70,000 is one estimate that they've received. And the barn, if that were to move, would also have to do that. So the Sister Bay Historical Society, kind of at the last minute, has come forward and, and made a commitment to trying to raise the money to save the, to, to move the barn to its property and rehabilitate it into a history center. The Historical Society and Sister Bay has been working for several years to try and raise $1.2 million, and they were going to build a new barn that would be offices, exhibit space, and a place to do archiving and restoration. And now they said, well, here's this historic barn. We're a, we're, we are a his, historical society. Let's see if we can save that and do all that within a historical structure and preserve some of our local history. So they have, at the last minute, they got uh, Mr. Crane gave them more time and extended the deadline and, and basically said, if you can raise the money and you can take this, I'll donate the barn to you. And so that's what they're trying to do is raise $300,000. I think they've raised somewhere between 40 and 50 at the last time I spoke to them um, to lift that barn up, 
move it across the golf course, move it over to the historical society grounds, put down a foundation, run plumbing and electric, and then put put that building down at the at the new location and then start the rehabilitation process. So they still have to raise some uh, sub- substantial funds beyond that, but that would get the barn moved and put on that property. Um, it's a cool old structure, but to do that, they need the power lines moved as well. So if that gets saved, then they could split the cost of the power line stuff. Yeah, I was just going to say, answers, so. that seems like a great opportunity to line those dates up together so that they yeah. only have to take the power lines down once. Yeah, so you work together, uh, you each save $35,000, um, and you get, the village gets 16 housing units, historical society preserves a barn. Um, there's a long way to go. I think they've got a lot of fundraising to do to, to secure that, uh, but that's the hope between those two organizations. I was in the barn recently. It's pretty cool structure. I mean, like any old barn, it's got you. I'd go in there as a mover or not as a mover. I'd go in there as an idiot and look around and go, how the heck would you possibly move a structure this big? How, how could you get it down a road? How is this not going to fall apart? Much, I, a lot of the same questions people had about the granary, which we covered in great detail in Sturgeon Bay. The granary, however, was a very structurally solid building with those, the way those are built, they're just, in, they're, they're tanks, you know. Um, the barn looks less solid, but I talked to David DeVoot, who's a mover who is devout, devout, it's spelled DeVoot, but it's pronounced devout. Um, he's moved over a thousand structures. And it's funny when a guy is that experienced at it, you say, yeah, how is it? Is this going to be a difficult move? He's like, no, no, it's a, it's a solid structure. Yeah. We do this, this, and this, and put it up on wheels and move it. Yeah, generally <laughs> like, they, they reinforce some things. Yeah, like a lot I, of cabling and things like that. But to him, yeah. that's not a, it's not a difficult prospect. Yeah, I remember seeing the granary. I think that they had some like steel braces at mm-hmm. like the joints to try to keep those solid. And then the whole thing was put on these huge like square logs basically to yep. create a new foundation. So as long as you get it onto something solid, and then reinforce any, you know, potential weak areas, then it's good to go, basically. Yeah. If so, it can stand, it can move. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's that's kind of how he looks at it. So, and he did say, like, do you ever say no to a move? Like, are there, he, he said, yes, there's plenty of structures we go out and evaluate, and, and we just say, this isn't worth it, or it, it might not hold up to the move, or it's just not worth the effort. And he said, if, if this were the case, I would tell them that. You know, I, I don't want to move something I don't want to do, so... Right, because if it breaks apart while it's moving, that's not good either. Yeah, uh, not a good look. Let's pivot to uh, one last thing for this week. Uh, I think it's our favorite thing in the world to talk about, which is parking. Yeah, uh, Egg Love Harbor. It. Egg Harbor's got some stuff going on in regards to parking. There's a couple of businesses that are looking at uh, a couple of different things. Walk me through uh, this this phylop situation. <laughs> Egg Harbor always has stuff going on with parking. Yep. Uh, and it's honestly a little confusing for me to cover as a reporter just because they don't follow things the same way as some other communities do, which makes it difficult for me, difficult for their board members even, and then difficult for the public and business owners to follow exactly what the rules are um, and why decisions are made. So it goes back to One Barrel Brewing Company, um, 300 plus seat, very busy bar, been a boon for Egg Harbor business and brought a lot of people down there. But a lot of people means a lot of people uh, often with cars, mostly with cars. And uh, you know, my position on, on parking is that like we generally should not plan around it as a community. Like if you plan around the people and um, you meet your parking needs as much as possible. But generally when people say nobody goes to a place, 
there's no parking. I mean, I just think of Yogi Berra all the time. Like nobody goes there. It's too busy. Like that. Okay. That doesn't wash, but there is an issue in Nag Harbor because, you know, Main Street Market years ago was forced to put in a very big parking lot. And now some of those rules have changed. One Barrel did not have to put in a very big parking lot, even for all those seats at the restaurant, which means a lot of their customers use the Main Street parking lot. The owners of Main Street Market argue that that hurts their business. Um, and it very well might. Um, and it, at, at the very least, it makes the customer experience worse for their, for their customers. And no business owner wants that, especially if you've invested in this thing to make your experience good. And no business owner likes other people piggybacking on their investment. That's just the way it goes. Um, but Egg Harbor, kind of like what the dispute there has been is they used to have a, a rule that said you could count all the parking spaces within 500 feet of your establishment. All of the on, not all of the private lots, but all of the on-street parking could be counted toward your parking requirement. So if you have a restaurant that requires one parking spot for every four seats, you have 300 some seats and you need 80 some parking spots, you can count them all the way up and down the street within 500 feet. Now, what that creates is a lot of businesses overlapping, claiming the same parking spaces. Yeah, that's the problem. It doesn't create more parking spaces. It actually creates less. And And the idea being that like, do you need a parking space for every business? There, there's a lot of logic to it because if I go to Egg Harbor and I go and I grab a drink at the Fireside and I go grab a sandwich at Main Street Market and I go shopping at Maxwell, Maxwell House and I go to One Barrel for a beer. If I do all those things in that little corner, do I need, do I have four cars that need four parking spots? No. No, I need one parking spot for all those businesses. So that is kind of the theory between sharing that on-street parking and being able to count it. And to be honest, I go to Big Harbor on very busy days. You never, I've never had to block park like down Harbor School Road or down County T or out by the landmark. At most, I park a block from where I want to go. So even on the busiest days, they're still parking within a block. And you can walk the entire village of Egg Harbor, the entire loop at a pretty moderate pace in about 20 minutes. So it's not like it's this huge community that needs all these parking lots. So that's my kind of take on like how the broad scheme of, of evaluating those kind of parking requirements. But some people were built in the old days and some weren't. And so now you have one barrel, which has become a much larger project than originally presented. It was presented as about a 150 to 190, depending on which meeting minutes you read, um, project that was going to have 35 parking spaces and never had that. But then the village said it was okay to not have that. So there's a lot of confusion going on <laughs> with the right. parking situation there. So they got rid of that on-street parking allowance for like the parking within 500 feet and went to a fee in lieu of parking. And then they set that at $50, which is incredibly cheap for a fee in lieu of parking. Because that's every what, month or year? Every year, a $50 fee for every space that you are short on your property. So let's say you're short five. That's $250. Yeah. It's a year. A year. That's nothing. A, it's cheaper than building a parking lot. B, it gives you your land. If you don't put parking spaces there, it gives you the opportunity to build something there, which increases your value. So like, it's not just the cost of the parking lot that the fee in lieu of parking provides. It potentially allows you to build a bigger building because you don't have to provide the parking for it. So you can do 100 square feet more for 10 parking spaces or 200 square feet more. And how much is 200 square feet worth? You know, that's, you might be adding... $100,000, $200,000 $100,000, $200,000 in property value to a property by allowing a fee in lieu of parking. Yeah. And it's it's almost like the debate between a house and an apartment, right? With a house, your money's going back into the investment. With an apartment, you're basically throwing it away. Yeah. Right? Same thing here. It's like, well, do I want to spend the, the money to invest in a parking lot and just have that one-time fee? 
uh, repaving and that kind of stuff down the line? Or do I just pay rent on not having parking? Yeah. And if you can afford to burn that money, then why then wouldn't who, you? And who technically, what is that doing? You're paying the fee, which supplements the village building a parking lot that then they maintain <laughs> like, and they snow plow and they, uh, reseal every few years and, or, and repave when it crumbles. So it is, you're, you're exactly right. It's like having a maintenance person, um, for your parking lot, but really it's that value that you can do because let's say you have a land, uh, a, a tiny parcel that normally you'd say, okay, based on the parking allotment, I could have a small cafe that has 12 seats. Well, by having a fee in lieu of parking, now I can go, oh, that tiny lot that was worth $200,000 before because all I could do there was a cafe. Well, now that tiny lot's worth a lot more money because I can buy that same lot. And since I don't have to put parking in it, I can now open a 80 seat restaurant, which means I can make a lot more money. So it, it's not just about what is the cost of building a parking space. So, which is, that's not an argument for or against it. It's just like, that's how it should be thought of and evaluated in that you were, so when a business owner complains like, oh, you're really constraining me. I, if like, I'm only getting this much. Well, by giving them the fee in lieu of parking, you are giving a huge boost in opportunity value and just what they can do with their property. You're giving a ton more leeway. So right. they rewrote that because they didn't put a cap on that when they put that in. So you could pay as Shipwreck has proposed and they're grandfathered into this because their proposal came in under those rules. Shipwreck can pay a fee in lieu of parking for 80 spaces, 100 spaces if they wanted. <laughs> so that's, they can just build a massive complex there and use the fee in lieu of parking. And it's yeah. totally fair and it's totally legal based on Egg Harbor ordinance. And that would break down to $5,000 a year? Um, they had a hundred spaces yeah. at $50, it's $5,000 a year. Yeah. Which, I mean, you make $5,000 in a weekend. Town of Gibraltar built a parking lot. It cost them 700 and some thousand dollars. That saves you a lot of money. Yeah. Um, the, so now they took that and they went back, well, oh crap, we didn't put a cap on it. So now they come back and they discussed, well, do we need to change that fee? And do we need to put a cap on it? And they ultimately decided and they passed a new ordinance that says the new fee is $250 per space, which makes it a little more, um, equitable from a cost perspective and it's capped at 30 spaces that's still a lot of spaces that's still a pretty big parking lot 30 spaces for example is larger than the one barrel parking lot right now um that's 30 spaces is larger probably than the bailey's harbor library parking lot right across the street so that's a lot of parking spaces you can still do through phylop for 250 dollars a year and it still allows you to do like imagine what that does to your property if you say oh I can either put in 30 parking spaces and how much space does that take out? Or I can pay Philop. Now I can build on those, that space. Big difference. Right. Well, and we and just, I can build, you know, depending on where you're building, it's not just one story. I could go three stories up and now that gives me three stories worth of condominiums I can sell. Right. Well, we, we just said that under the $50 per space, you got a hundred spaces. It's about 5,000. Now that same, that same amount would go down to 20 spaces at 250. Right. So it is a pretty big increase in the amount of money, but everything that's already there is grandfathered in at the $50 yes. price. Right. Yep. So it's really not going to make any more money. So one barrel is grandfathered in at the previous rule where you can count all the spaces within 500 feet of your property. That's unless they tore it down and did a new business like that, they're grandfathered in at that. So when Peter Gentry, the owner of one barrel wants to add parking, like by rule, he's really just doing a solid at this point because the village said that was okay. In in Shipwreck's case, they don't they, they got their application in after that rule has changed to make file up the new rule, but they are still operating under the old rule when it was $50 per space and no cap. So that's the rule they're under because they got their application in under that rule. And now um, 
that this ordinance is anything going forward would be under this. So it might incentivize parking spaces for new businesses. It, it would probably incentivize people to pay the FILOP fee. Really? Which would go into a fund for the village to um, potentially build parking yeah. or pay for the parking that they're going to put on Church Street. At 250 is it still a good deal? Like $50 a space is a no-brainer. That's an amazing deal. But at 250 is it still um, worth it? I, I haven't totally run the numbers on this, but my hunch is that I would rather have the flexibility to use my property for building than a parking lot. Value-wise, that's a much better value proposition. Um, parking lot's not going to go up in value very much, but uh, three three stories of of use, whether it's a restaurant on the first floor and two apartments above it or two condos above it, I mean, that's that's a heck of a lot of value that you get. So all that is to say, did Egg Harbor fix parking? I can't say. Yeah, I guess. I don't. Time I don't know. Tell. Like personally, I when I look at that fee in lieu of parking, it's. I saw that discussion as, hmm, what can we do to allow? Let's say a, a, you have this building that, since it was built, parking has changed a lot, but that building's still there. There, maybe it's a hundred-year-old building on a corner, and there's no big parking lot. But you want that building to be successful. You want people to invest in it, and maybe there's only four on-street parking spaces that can be allocated to that building based on where it's located and you say well but that we shouldn't just make that building only be able to be two condos and four parking spaces we maybe we want there to be a small grocer there or a restaurant there or a retail store there but that would technically require more spaces okay maybe we can have you can pay a fee and you can have and you can pay that fee for maybe six spots so now you have 10 spots so you could do a 40-person restaurant. You could do uh, a, a larger retail thing. You could have condos or whatever. But now you have the flexibility to do that. You want to give a little flexibility. But so in my mind, I would have put that, it seemed to make sense to make that cap much lower because if every business in town was paying Philop for 30 spaces, where are those uh, couple thousand spaces <laughs> located that they're all like supposedly paying for that's offsetting it? The 30 cap limit is seems high to me. It seems like you could run into problems, but, it, but I'd say like, it's smart to cap it somewhere. Um, the, it, it just the kind of the looseness of a lot of things that have happened in Egg Harbor over the last five years where that you're just, you're stuck with that now. Right. So maybe this is a step forward in kind of tightening things back up, see where things are in 10 years kind of thing. Probably not 10. Remember this whole discussion didn't even exist in 2019. Hmm. There was no discussion of a parking issue in Egg Harbor until one barrel opened and it started to spill over. At least not to my recollection. It's never been an issue in, in my lifetime. I mean, huh. we were talking about Egg Harbor being, hey, wow, there's activity there in 2019. Um, but then you had Fireside, which has been a very successful restaurant. One Barrel opens, Hatch opens, Shipwrecked expands. Now Casey's has expanded with their, their bar and back there. It's a lot of growth in a tiny spot, none of which added parking. Hatch has ample parking on their lot, but that actually was all parking before Hatch opened. So it's, it's not like a net gain in terms of total parking spaces. So now Egg Harbor has never been short of parking spaces either. So they had a lot of room to grow before you really needed it. Oh, and then you had the Crest Pavilion also built in town. So you had a lot of big additions without a lot of parking enhancements. Right. But Egg Harbor's doing well. Like, again, I don't have a problem parking close to where I want to go. I have more sympathy for um, older or or handicapped folks who who aren't uh, who can't walk as easily as I can. So you know, put more handicapped spots downtown on the street parking. Us young bucks can walk a little bit. There it is again. There's your, <laughs> your phrase of the day. Ring the bell. Um, here's my proposal to fix this. We can't if we want to do a parking garage. We can't do it out. We can't do it up. 
So I'm thinking let's bury parking garages and we'll run a series of underground tunnels between each town, right? And let's say- It's like the UWGP campus. Yeah, exactly like that. And we'll do uh, we'll do like a toll at the start of the tunnel, like down Sturgeon Bay. So you pay a little bit more, but you fast track, right? Because it's a tunnel. So you just pew, you head up where you want. You beat the traffic up above, ample parking down there. And then you could probably even move a couple housing units down there. And we'll just have a civilization of mole people in the next decade. Well, we might need that anyway. Yeah. Like <laughs> affordable housing can go underground. There's a lot of room below us, Smiles, that's not being taken advantage of. I, I would love to see the cost estimates. Pretty cheap. Uh, I mean, you just find the right person to do it. Right? <laughs> you just bid it out and whoever's, you know, I could dig a hole. Anything else to talk about this week, Miles? No. All right. I think no. we covered it. Uh, thank you, as always, for chatting with me. And uh, I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.